We're just going to look at two passages of Scripture this morning. They're both from the Christmas, or the, what we, we describe as the Nativity accounts in these two Gospels, the Gospel of Luke, and then we'll look at, at a shorter passage in the Gospel of Matthew. And I think you're well familiar with these two passages, but before I read them, just as a setting for what we're going to be considering from some very familiar material is I just want to kind of as a framework for the passages we're going to be studying I want to I want to state the obvious about the world in which we live and the obvious is that we live in an uncertain world meaning that uh, as you look around you in the world and all the things that are going on in the world um current state of the economy, uh, all the stuff going on with inflation and interest rates, uh, the crash of the crypto market. I hope nobody got uh, devastated in that. Uh, the downturn right now in the, in the housing market and the likely continued downturn uh, in the year to come. Uh, all the stuff that's gone on in the last three years with COVID, uh, politics. I, I don't even want to start on politics. Uh, and and sadly, even um, things that are going on in the church um, around the world, and some things very wonderful, but many things far less than wonderful. We live in an exceptionally uncertain world. I I don't look at any of the things that I just mentioned, including even the church, <clears throat> and I don't anchor my soul to any of those things because they're constantly changing. And too much of it is constantly changing, not for the better. And so the question is, is there anything certain that we can anchor our soul to? And of course, we know there is. God knows that we have need at a soul level for some anchor of certainty that we can, we can attach ourselves to and then be settled in and be confident. Whatever else changes around me, this isn't going to change for the worse. And what he's done is he's provided for us anchors of certainty in his revealed word, the scriptures, in the gospel of our salvation, the message, the only message that actually saves a soul, and then in the arrival and the life, the perfect life, the sacrificial death, the glorious resurrection, and the exalted ascension of his son. Those are our anchor points. The revealed word of God, the gospel, and the person of the son of God in all that he accomplished for us. And in these two passages we're going to look at today, while, as I said, all of this information is is very familiar to you, uh, every Christmas and hopefully other times during the year you've familiarized yourself with these passages but especially at Christmas time we focus on these passages and rightly so and I just want to highlight one specific element from both of these passages both the passage in Luke and in the passage that we're going to be reading in Matthew we're going to start in Luke chapter 1 and we're going to be reading uh, from verse 26 
And what I want us to consider is that God communicated in both of these passages, the the one in Luke 1 and the one in Matthew 1 that we'll read in a moment, he communicated through an angel in both of these cases. God doesn't always communicate through angels. He has throughout history chosen special individuals who were human individuals who were under special assignment from him to function as his mouthpiece, his messenger to the people that were alive on the earth in those days and by extension us as well as his revealed word through them came down through history to us. But there are some special cases where the Lord reserves what he wants to communicate to humanity, not to human messengers, but he reserves it for angelic messengers. And um, I don't want to set angelic messages in a sense above human messages when both are inspired by the spirit of God because they're spiritually equivalent there, there are true messages from God and, and trustworthy messages from God. But it is interesting that in both of these cases, and these both have to do with birth announcements of the Lord Jesus. In both cases, the Lord did choose an angelic messenger. And what we know in terms of the backstory of angelic messages, it's not in the story that we'll be reading, but you can know with certainty that this is the backstory that goes into this message. And that is these angels weren't living on earth in one case we're going to see the focus is on the angel gabriel and in the matthew account it's an unnamed angel but in both cases these are not angels that are just hanging out on earth they are they are homed in heaven they live there in the direct and immediate presence of the lord but they're capable of traveling in what is to us miraculous ways from the throne of God in heaven to earth in order to accomplish God's assignments to them, which have to do with specific messages he gives to them. So the backstory is God sitting upon his throne called an angel to give a message from his heart to that angel who was then tasked, assigned by God the Father to travel to earth to specific individuals and to deliver that message directly from his heart to their heart. And that's what we're reading here in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And I'm going to be reading, <coughs> excuse me, through to verse 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And starting in verse 31 is where I'm going to focus her attention. So I'd like you to pay even closer attention to the actual message the first part that I've read up until now is just the backstory and then the initial greeting that the angel gives to Mary. Now, starting in verse 31, here is the actual message sent from the throne of God to her. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. All right, this birth announcement recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke, directly from God's heart on the throne, directly to Mary's heart, and now by extension to our hearts. This was a message of absolute certainty in the midst of an absolutely uncertain world. And what I want to do is just the portion that I'm highlighting, starting in verse 31, and we'll, uh, <clears throat> we'll end in verse 35, from 31 to 35. What I want to do is I want to offer you an alternative translation this morning. Uh, it's helpful when you're doing Bible study to occasionally check with other translations than the one you're familiar with. Sometimes you get as long as you're checking with good and trustworthy translations, sometimes you get additional meaning and and insight into the text as you're comparing the different ways that the original Greek text here in the New Testament can be translated into English. But the translation I'm going to offer, the alternative translation this morning, is not one of the trustworthy ones. Okay, I'm going to offer you an alternative possible translation that is not exceptionally close to the text. It's not exceptionally true to the text. But I want you to think about the implications if this had been, according to this alternate translation, if this had been what God the Father had communicated through the angel to Mary. And uh, the author of this alternative translation is me. So here we go. Verse 31. This is the angel speaking to Mary in an alternative translation. And behold, you might conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you could call him Jesus. He might be great and could be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will probably give to him the throne of his father David. And he will possibly reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there might be no end. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will try to come upon you. And the power of the Most High will try to overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will try to be worthy of the title holy, the son of God. Now, why have I offered you the alternative translation? Because if it had been along those lines, then this story would have been just as uncertain as everything else that goes on in the world around us and nothing that we could have anchored our soul to with true hope 
for anything that would be trustworthy and would be certain of the fulfillment of God's plan and purpose. Now, what I've done for our notes here, uh, you can see on the overhead, is I've, I've underlined the operative key word in every phrase in this section from verse 31. And so I'm going to reread that one last time. And I'm just going to emphasize uh, the key words that are underlined. This is the angel speaking. This is the actual message from the Lord sitting upon his throne, ruling in glory and power and majesty, not just over the glories of heaven, but ruling, if we are to believe what he himself says about his rule, ruling over everyone and everything. And with the extent of power and sovereignty that is fully capable of making come true exactly what was declared in this angelic message. Verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. How many couples have tried to conceive a child and struggled to do so? And then those who have desperately wanting one gender or the other for their child and just being, you know, you don't want it, you don't want to make this uh, obvious, but being just a little bit disappointed that they didn't get exactly what they wanted. The Lord says, behold, you will conceive in your womb. And it happened, of course, exactly as he said it would. This is all before it happens, but this is functioning as what we call Bible prophecy because the Lord is speaking this message through the angel before any of these events were actually fulfilled, but he's speaking them from a perspective of certainty in advance of the fulfillment. And only the Lord can do that. I can make proclamations that are apart from just echoing the proclamations of God's word. I can make proclamations that are a function of me being a pretty good guesser about future events. But I can never, and neither can you, speak about anything in the future as being absolutely certain unless you are echoing what God himself has revealed about the future. And so you will conceive in your, in your womb and you will bear a son. And it happened exactly as the angel declared. And you shall call his name Jesus. Of course, the importance of that naming was that uh, the name Jesus in uh, their language meant or translated to uh, the salvation of the Lord or the Lord's Savior, the one who he is assigned to that great role as Savior. He will, verse 32, he will be great. And I could say this without any hesitation of, you know, you could say this about people, but, you know, there's always room for argument about who this would really be true of, and I can say this confidently, how great did he become? He became the greatest of all. There's no human being even close. If we're, if we're measuring on a scale of greatness, all the human beings that have ever entered this world and lived their life and, and accomplished things in this world, and usually we assign greatness because of things that were accomplished, the, the list would go like this. Jesus and then 
space, 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 space. And then somewhere way down the line, you can begin to name others as well. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. This is speaking even beyond the accomplishment of of the things that he did in the context of his life in this world. This is speaking to what would be changing in the kingdom of God at the event we call the ascension of Christ as we've studied recently in the book of Acts as he returns having lived the life that he lived offered his life as a sacrificial death in order to accomplish our salvation and then rising from the dead. Then finally he ascends to heaven and is given by God the Father the privilege and the high honor, the only one who's ever been given this privilege or ever will to sit upon the very throne of God and be identified as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And then this, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. These these two are a special pair among all of the promises, all of the prophetic promises that the Lord declares here through the angel because these two still are in the process of fulfillment. They've already begun to be fulfilled the moment, as we've studied, that he returned to heaven and sat down. The very moment he sat down upon the throne, his kingdom, his reign began. But according to what the Lord says about the nature of his kingdom, it's going to last forever and there will be no end to it forever and ever. And then verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. I just want you to think about the Christmas story this morning from the standpoint of it's already certain in God's heart before any of it actually happens. Now, let's go to the second passage. The Gospel of Matthew. I won't, I won't offer the alternative translation here, but... I think you're familiar with the concept already. Matthew chapter one. This one's a shorter description of those events, but it has one statement that's not included in the Luke account. And I want to be sure to emphasize that and make that our final emphasis this morning, just as we're about to go and spend the rest of Christmas day with our families. I'm gonna read from verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, that was, as you know, um, betrothed to Joseph, that was their the equivalent of what we now call engagement, but um, a level more serious than our culture views engagement uh, nowadays. Engagements are, are formed and then broken. And with a betrothal, The only way to break a betrothal in this culture and with the level of seriousness that they brought to a betrothal and the nature of that agreement, the only way to break it was through a divorce proceeding. It was considered to be a marriage already 
only short of the actual physical aspect of their union, which took place on the actual wedding day. So Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, meaning before their physical union, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, had he brought this public, it would have been the most severe level of shame in a culture that still had the ability to feel and express shame, uh, something I think our culture has largely lost. Shame in this sense is not a, an evil thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not a sinful thing. This shame is a holy thing because it's an acknowledgement and a recognition at a cultural level of the standards of God in the lives of the people within that culture. So Joseph, her husband, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 21 begins Matthew's version of the emphasis that Luke Luke makes, which I'm calling an emphasis of certainty in the midst of an uncertain world. And it is functioning like the Luke passage as an angelic prophetic message from the Lord himself. And just to be clear, the Lord's track record when it comes to what we call Bible prophecy, which is simply the Lord describing events that are going to happen in history before the moment actually comes. Sometimes as much as hundreds of years before those events have actually taken place, The Lord describes them and declares them as this will certainly happen. And so we're reading verse 21 from that perspective. She, Mary, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And then this final phrase, which is what I want to make the final focus of our consideration of this familiar story for the sake of our hearts this morning. You shall call his name Jesus, meaning God's salvation incarnated is essentially the name and the meaning of that name. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. He, not, he's going to give it the best effort. He's going to try to save his people from their sins, but you know how hard people are to save. Listen, people are hard to save. People are very, I was hard to save. I, you know, when I think back on the lengths that the Lord went to, to save my wayward soul, it constantly amazes me whenever I think about what he did and and how far he went to bring that about. Not just, of course, in the sacrifice of his son, but I'm talking about even in the circumstances of my life that led up to that day. But he declares it this way, 
it's true this way. We're meant to read it and understand it this way. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And there's going to be a day, it's a distant day. I don't know exactly how long it's going to take to get to that day, but there's going to be a day when every single one of us stand before the throne of God, the end of all things, the end of history as we know it, the, the transition from history as we know it to eternity that's going to follow. And there's going to be the entirety of the population of this world that will be standing before the throne, each one in turn giving account. And what's going to be obvious on that day when we stand before the throne is there's going to be a division in all of humanity. And humanity is going to be divided into two categories. And there's only going to be two categories. Just two. In, in the, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, as we studied in some detail not too long ago as we were finishing our study through Matthew, we saw that the Lord Jesus characterized that division using a word picture that was familiar to the people in his day. And he described it as a, a division between sheep and goats. He's going to identify all of humanity with an association to two different animals. There's going to be a, a category of goats and a category of sheep. And he's going to divide the two, and then he's going to assign different things to each group. And it's going to be obvious on that day in a way that it's not fully obvious now. Only those of us who have, by the grace of God, had our eyes open to see the truth and to understand it. But it'll be obvious to everyone then. No questions. No, no clouds of misunderstanding at that point. Everyone will see and know that some are in a saving relationship with the one who sits upon the throne and some are not. And that status is going to last for both groups for all of eternity to follow. And right now, what matters most to my heart and should matter most to your heart is the significance and the implication of this statement. You shall call his name Savior. That's what the name Jesus means. You shall call his name Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. So the only question left to consider is, are you in the goat category or are you in the sheep category? Because he will save his sheep from their sins. He's promised it. He's prophesied it. He's declared it as true before it even ever happens. And it will most certainly be fulfilled. And those of us who were around the throne on that final day will all bear witness and will testify. He did manage to save every single one that he identified as his people without losing a single one. And if you can, if you can recognize yourself by the grace of God as among that group, then you should be exceptionally joyful this Christmas morning. Father, let's, let's please find grace from you this morning to have our eyes open to see and to understand 
the certainty that you've provided for us in the declaration of who your son is and what you would accomplish through him. And may we, each one of us, be found among your sheep on that final day. We thank you, we bless your name, and we appreciate all that was set in motion when you brought your son into this world. We thank you for these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Merry Christmas, everyone. Amen.